Hello listeners and welcome to another London Council's Let's Talk About podcast. Today our Let's Talk About podcast is about delayed transfers of care, also known as detox, and exploring London's performance. So I have two experts here with me in the room today who will be contributing to the discussion. We have Anastasia, our Policy and Projects Manager for Health and Adult Services at London Councils. And we have Sam, our Policy Manager for Finance and Improvement at London Councils. There are infographics relating to this podcast, which you may wish to refer to whilst listening. However, you can also have a look at these later on, if you like, on our website. So, Anastasia, to kick off, what exactly are detox? Hi, Samina. You've all heard that both health and social care services have been facing lots of challenges and significant pressures over the past few years. And this is due to a combination of an increase in demand for services and the fact that both sectors, particularly adult social care, have been underfunded over the past few years. And so some of these challenges have presented themselves in a number of ways. And one of these ways is detox. Detox refers to delayed transfers of care that occur when a person is clinically ready to be discharged from hospital, but cannot be discharged without extra support. And so what happens is that they look for an alternative setting in which to continue providing this care. Sometimes detox is referred to as bed blocking in the, in the media. These delays, of course, are not only distressing for the patients, but their families as well. And we know that they can have a negative impact on a person's health. For example, we know that a stay in hospital of over 10 days can lead to 10 years of muscle aging for some people, especially the elderly. And we also know that 35% of 70-year-old patients who overstay in hospital experience functional decline during their hospital stays and are worse off than when they entered the hospital. This increases from 35% to 65% in those people that are aged 90 or over. So in an effort to improve the system and to work together better, health and social care partners now have to also report on not just the detox, but also on the length of stay that a person stays in hospital, particularly on those that have exceeded 21 days in hospital. These are sometimes referred to as stranded patients. It's in everybody's interest to try and move these people into a better setting to help improve their health outcomes. Both the families and the patients do not want to have to stay in hospital longer than they have to. And actually, we also know that high numbers of detox have a significant impact on the ability of the health and care system to run smooth, smoothly, as there's a strong link between detox and patients, for example, waiting for extended periods in A&E departments. Thanks for that introduction, Anastasia. So who exactly is responsible for measuring detox and how are detox counted? Well, the NHS is responsible for measuring the detox. And uh, firstly, what happens is that when a patient is is ready to be discharged, a, a, a doctor will obviously assess them and make a clinical decision to say this person is ready to be moved on. And then a multidisciplinary team will also consider take into consideration various aspects of the patient's care and also decide whether this patient is ready to move on. So once this person has been declared fit and ready to be moved out of hospital, if they're not able to find a placement for them or to move them on, this then becomes a delay in transfer of care. And um, so there are several ways that the NHS counts these delays in transfer of care. The first is that it counts the total number of beds taken up by these patients. And then the second way is that it takes the average daily number of delayed transfers that have occurred over that particular month. And so all these figures can be accessed uh, publicly. 
And so to try and get an understanding of where the delay is in the system, what the NHS does when it's recording is it also puts a reason for this particular delay. So for example, if the, if the problem is that they can't find a placement in a residential home, then this delay is attributed to, uh, uh, to councils. And if the problem is that they couldn't find an NHS service in the community for this person to be transferred to, then this delay is attributed to the NHS. So getting an understanding of what the causes are for those delays helps to also highlight where the pressure points are in a particular health and care system. And then resources can go towards this particular part of the system. Thanks, Anastasia. So Sam, we hear that the pressures in the system have increased. How have detox performance been impacted over the past few years, would you say? Well, at the outset of a government drive to reduce delayed transfers of care, which began in the spring of 2017, London was the second best performing region in terms of the raw number of delayed days uh, in terms of delayed transfers of care, with inner London performing particularly strongly uh, in in terms of how few delayed days there were. Since then, although numbers have reduced at a slower rate than the rest of England, London has broadly kept pace with the rate of decline, uh, despite there being less fat to trim as there were, even though London was performing well and didn't have a uh, huge number of delayed days, London has managed to reduce to a similar level to the rest of England. There's likely evidence that funding solutions have helped, because when one categorises detox, one of the categorisations is awaiting public funding, that's the category that's seen the greatest decrease of all of the reasons of delayed transfers of care. So with the ever-increasing pressures that face both health and social care, detox have traditionally been worse over the winter months. Can you talk through what happened last winter and the trends over the past couple of years during the winter months? Sure. We didn't really see a winter spike last year or the winter before for that that matter. Uh, The only sustained increase we've had in London over the last two years was around spring of last year, spring of 2018. And that was a trend, uh, a blip, as it were, that wasn't mirrored elsewhere. That was very much a London issue. The avoidance of these winter spikes uh, is difficult. It's difficult to say why. It might be better preparation on behalf of boroughs. It might be expectation of a spike that never came. And there's no direct correlative uh, evidence. But we did, however, receive a, a winter freshers grant last year. Which may, which may have helped as well. Um, so it could be, it's probably a combination of factors, but no, we haven't really seen a winter spike for the last couple of years. We've had a little uptick this year between February and March, is what the data is telling us, both in London and nationally. However, we are not sure whether that's part of a sustained increase that we're about to see, or whether that's just a one-off blip, as it were, an anomaly. Um, it's too early to tell, but we'll keep an eye on that. So Sam, how does the performance of London's social care departments compare to other regions, do you think? They're good, I think, uh, Samina, in short. I think they've always performed well and they've broadly kept pace with improvements in the rest of the country. Social care departments in London have underpinned the decline we've seen with a 30% reduction in delayed transfers of care attributable to social care in London versus less than 5% for those attributable to the NHS. This is a story that we see all around the country as well. But boroughs have, I would say, majoritively been better at dealing with foreseeable delayed transfers of care, as non-acute delayed transfers of care have fallen by 40%, whereas acute delayed transfers of care have actually risen slightly. Um, So if something is foreseeable, we've got better at dealing with it, is the story from from the borough's perspective. 
On the other side of the coin, the NHS performs better on nursing and residential delayed transfers of care, transfers of care attributable to those two categories, I should say, which is around a third of all delayed transfers of care in London. So there is still room for improvement from the boroughs, but it's generally a story of good performance. Thanks, Sam. That's really informative. Anastasia, what impact do you think the Better Care Fund has had? The BCF has actually played a very critical role in terms of addressing uh, detox across all areas. Uh, We saw this in the 2017-19 plans, ambitions for uh, detox were set. I mean, there's lots of debate and challenge over the level that these targets were set at. But in the end, all local areas came to agreed levels that they had to achieve. And increasingly, we're also seeing, I mentioned previously, the length of stay in hospital. So a shift that we're going to see in next year's BCF plans is the introduction of long length of stay targets for local areas. And I've already mentioned that NHS Trust, we need to reduce the people in hospital that stay over 21 days by 40%, which is a very ambitious target. And to achieve it, local areas will have to work closely together because community services will have to be in place to enable that shift to happen from the hospital into, into the community. And I think additionally, what we saw through the Better Care Fund was the introduction of the high impact change model. The high impact change model is made up of eight measures, which I'll run through uh, very quickly, just to show the sort of impact that it's had on the sector. So these, the eight measures are, one, early having early discharge planning, putting in place systems to monitor patient flow, having multidisciplinary discharge teams in place, so having teams that are made up of both health and social care services working together to help move these people from hospital more quickly, Discharge to assess. This is supporting people to leave hospital and carrying out their longer term assessment needs in their homes rather than doing it in the hospital. Having seven day services, having trusted assessors, a focus on choice, and lastly, having enhanced health services in care homes. So the high impact change model can be seen in various ways being in operation across across London. Most boroughs, for example, will have in place these multidisciplinary teams and uh, they're all working together and speeding up the process of moving people out of hospital. And um, in terms of enhanced health in care homes, for example, Saturn was a vanguard, and part of its work as a vanguard was working with care homes to try and improve this part of the system. And they actually introduced the red bag system, which has been taken up across several boroughs in London and is even beginning to take to gather pace outside London as well. So what the red bag does is that all the information about that particular person is kept in this red bag and therefore all the medical personnel that are in touch with this person are able to have all this information ready readily available to them this helps to quicken the process when a person has to go into hospital but it also helps to quicken the process during the discharge process as well um so yeah so in short the better care fund has had a very good impact on helping to improve the way the system works, in particular around um, delays and transfer of care. Thanks for those real-life London examples, Anastasia. So, to conclude, in summary, Sam, what are the main highlights from your analysis on detox? I think what we're seeing is a story of good performance, which has been well-maintained over the last two years, and that that good performance is largely due to excellent social care performance who have reduced their delayed transfers of care substantially, and they've been better at dealing with predictable issues coming down the track. 
Funding works, I think, is something that we can say from this, given that the awaiting public funding category has reduced so sharply. But we do need more certainty and more stability. Funding we've had has been relatively piecemeal, scattergun, short-termist. And while that has been helpful and been useful, largely eliminating any funding gap we've had recently, we do need more surety on that. We need to work out how it's going to be funded. We need to know who's going to fund it. And we do need to steer on uh, what sort of levels of funding we can expect in the future and how we can implement and regulate that. And Anastasia, what lessons can we draw from London's experience on detox and how can we continue to ensure London remains a leader on detox, would you say? Mm. Well, I think one of the first lessons that I would pull out from detox is the importance of working closely with partners because detox cannot be addressed simply by one part of the system. Uh, health, the health sector cannot address detox by themselves. Similarly, adult social care as well cannot do it by, by themselves. So they need to work together in partnership. But it's also recognising the value in terms of bringing in other partners. For example, the voluntary sector. The voluntary sector can also have a role to play in providing support to people when they're moved out of hospital. And so this would help to ease and improve the service that the person actually receives while also helping to ease the pressure on the hospital. And then also we must remember that detox, it, uh, a detox has a wider impact on other parts of the system. The higher your detox levels, um, the more likely you are to have longer waiting lists in A&D and then this also spills over to the ambulance service as well. So it's in everybody's interest really to try and ensure that the detox is working effectively. And lastly, I think one lesson that we always have to bear in mind is the impact on the individuals that are affected by detox. The longer we keep people in hospital unnecessarily, the more negative impact we might have on their health. And as a system, we need to work together to try and improve outcomes on individuals. Great. I would like to thank Anastasia and Sam for sharing their expertise and thank you all for listening. If you have any comments to make or wish to know more about Detox in London, you can refer to our infographics which are available on the London Council's website, www.londoncouncil.com.